0: high-end designer or a lot of money to get a luxe look be your own interior designer this is affordable interior design the podcast here's your host betsy hellman some people are calling this fall yes in the stores there's halloween candy pumpkins are arriving people are talking about apple picking i am not calling this fall this is freaking indian summer Welcome to Indian summer, people. I hope you all are getting some last moments on the beach, some last opportunities to wear your swimsuit and your sandals. I'm just going to walk around the house in my swimsuit. I am soaking up every last drop of summer. Without further ado, because this mailbag is brimming with questions, I'm going to dive right in. But before I do, I just want to thank you. I have been in contact with so many of you who are interested in the Academy. This was the first week that I've reached out, and it has been so exciting to start talking to you, to hear about your interest, to find out if you're a fit for this program. It's great. This program is officially launching in just a couple of weeks, and if you've wanted to become an interior designer, this could be just the program for you. It has one-on-one coaching with me, one-on-one coaching with my great designer, Paulina, who's been with my firm for nearly four years now, and online modules. You can do it in your free time, and it is something I'm amped about. So I just wanted to remind you that if this is a program you've been thinking about, head over to affordableinteriordesign.com, click on the Academy tab, submit your form, and I'll be reaching out to you personally to get a little bit more information. All right, without further ado, mailbag time. My first question comes from Beth. Beth writes, Hi Betsy, I have a question about rug size and placement for my home office in my new build. I've attached some floor plans. My husband and I both work from home, so this is the most important room in our house. We have decided to have desks. They are going to be 38 by 74 inches long. And their placement will be facing the front of the house in front of windows. We are now shopping for rugs. The rugs will provide the main color inspiration for the room and they'll add some softness. I'm looking at Persian style rugs with a soft blue as the primary color. Would you recommend number one, two 5x7 rugs that are under the front legs of each desk, two eight by 10 rugs under each desk and chair, or number three, one large 9x17 rug under both desks and the chairs? I prefer the look of the large rug, but because it is not a standard size, I would have to get it made from broadloom carpet. There are a limited number of broad looms in the styles and colors that I want, and the few that I found are wool in the high end carpet lines which are very pricey. If I go with the 8x10 rug option, I will have lots of affordable options in the Persian style, but I'm wondering if it will be awkward to walk between the two desks, potentially with one foot on a narrow strip of wood and the other on the carpet. And then, of course, I could go with the two 5x7 rugs, but I'm worried that there will not be enough of the rug showing to provide a real color presence for the room. Which option do you think would be best? Do you have another idea? Each will have clear plastic chair mats under our desk chairs, regardless of which option we choose. Thank you, Beth. Beth, first of all, let me compliment you on these drafting um, floor plans. They're amazing. You did a great job and I have a really clear sense of what you're talking about. So thank you for these plans. Are you an architect? Are you a designer? What do you do for a living? Because I am just really impressed with the technical precision here. Now, let's get to the bad news. You know, I was following along. I was so amped. You were so clear with your question. And then you end it with the kicker. We will each have plastic chair mats under our desk chairs. Ugh, my stomach turned. It did an actual flop. I was thinking, Bath, no matter what rug you choose, no matter how stylish you go in this room, you have just brought the whole thing down with your plastic mats. The rug choice is very important, but the plastic mat choice is a total no-go. What you should do instead is opt for a rug that has a relatively low pile. It doesn't even have to be that low, but that way the wheels of your chair can roll back and forth without friction and you do not need one of those horrendous mats. The other reason that I'm recommending a low pile rug under your desk chair is so that way you don't see where the wheels or legs of the chair have been, right? It's not going to leave those deep grooves or indentations because it's low pile, Now to get to the meat of your question, which was the size of the rug. There is a clear answer here. While my heart wants to say 9 by 17, as you already know, you're not going to have any selection in that. Also, if the worst should happen under one rug, if your husband, and I'm sure it's your husband, it would not be you, Beth, happens to spill his morning coffee on the rug, if the dog who loves to work beside you happens to barf on the carpet, right? The whole thing will be ruined. That's why I'm kind of into you each having your own rug. It will be much easier to replace if somebody drops a, do you know what came to mind when I said drops a, one of those containers of ink that you use with like a quill pin? Oh my gosh. <laughs> You know what it is? I've been watching Downton Abbey. My husband and I are rewatching all of Downton Abbey, so that way we'll be ready for the movie when it drops in just a few short weeks. And I think, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know because... I mean one of those little inkwells that's what it is an inkwell i haven't used an inkwell since like calligraphy class in college okay anyway back to your question i think the most practical solution is the two eight by tens the reason that i am not even considering not even for a hot second those five by seven rugs is because when you pull out your chair you want to make sure that you're not half on, half off this rug. But also, when you push in this chair, you want to make sure that you're not half on, half off. You need a rug under your desk that is not only fully under all four legs of your desk, but is also providing you with enough carpet that you can pull out your chair. And a wheelie chair, a desk chair, needs a little bit more room to pull out than, say, a dining chair. A dining chair requires, at a minimum, 30 to 36 inches to pull out. So that way you're not bubbling up the rug when you push back in. You're never half on half off. With a desk chair, I'm going to recommend that you do three to four feet of rug behind the front edge of the desk. And by front edge, I mean the edge where the drawers are, where your tummy is, right? Three to four feet behind that. Because some of us, I'm looking at myself here, love to really push back. And we want to make sure we never get off the rug. That's why I'm really into the 8x10 and the 5x7, that's not even an option. You can delete it from your floor plan software. And one other thing I wanted to mention, Beth, before I bounce off to another question is I am so impressed that you and your husband can work in the same room together all day every day. That is so admirable. And again, it makes me very curious as to what you guys do. All right, here we go. I've got a question from Heather. Heather writes, Hi Betsy, I love the podcast. Thank you so much for taking questions from listeners. Here is mine. I'm redecorating my master bedroom and I'm finding myself wanting an overbed table. You know, the kind that stretches all the way across the bed is on wheel and is on wheels so you can move it. Based on my internet searches, the world has decided that these tables are undesirable unless you're in a hospital that's not quite the look I'm going for. Does anybody use these and or make them anymore? More importantly, am I crazy to want one Heather? All right. Yes, people do still make these. In fact, Ikea has one. And for those of you who are wondering what Heather is referring to you have your bed right and typically it's a low bed unless the table is adjustable which is very hospital like so typically it's a low style platform bed and then you have this elongated table that based on your description I'm thinking you're thinking of the ones that roll over the entire bed and then roll all the way to the foot of the bed almost serving as a hard bench at the foot of the bed when you're not using it. Now, here are my thoughts about it. I'm wondering what you're wanting to use this table for. As we know from from Feng Shui, we don't want to be using this table for work because we should really be separating our work from our sleep. Having a work zone in your sleep area can make it hard for you to get a restful night's sleep, make it hard for you to relax when you're commingling those energies in the same space. The other thing you might want to be doing with this table, I'm just surmising, is eating. And I could see wheeling that big dog up and having wine and cheese in bed. That's kind of fun. Uh, I could see, well, that's really all I can see. Because I guess you could use it as a drawing table. I'm trying to think, maybe you could write some fun letters. Again, I don't like to commingle the experience of being awake and alert and productive. That's generally what I associate with a table. I don't like to bring that into the same space where I want to relax and fall asleep. I would ask that you consider that. And now let's consider the style options. There are not going to be that many style options. Instead, you could opt for like an adjustable C-shaped table that only goes over one part of the bed and feels more like an accent table than an elongated bench. That does have a hospital connotation, not going to lie. But it might be something that's less expensive, more available, and then also less of a commitment because you could use it in other ways should you decide the bedroom is not where you want this table. Um, I'm not sold on this. The only ones I can think of are at Ikea and they are with a lower style platform bed. That would make it a reasonable price point. But do we need this? Do we want this? Are you crazy to want this? My answer might be yes. Heather, has that helped? <laughs> if you're looking for other stores, I mean, I might consider a place like Bo Concept that also has this really clean line, modern platform furniture. I think you're going to be hard pressed to find an interesting selection of styles. I'm going to put that out there. And now it's time for a quick commercial break. Do you love this podcast? Do you wish you could learn even more? Well, we have an online class bundle. Our online class bundle is comprised of three online classes, beautifying your home for less, styling your home, and the fundamentals of feng shui. Each one of those three classes is between 30 and 45 minutes long and chock filled with visuals and tips things that will help you to style your own space or help out with other spaces. Additionally, with the pack of three classes, you get an autographed copy of my book, Affordable Interior Design. You get all of that for only $99. Once again, that's the three online classes as well as the book for only $99. You just go to affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes. Once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes to buy your bundle This comes from Kara. Kara writes, Betsy, I'm wondering if you have any new-ish favorite paint colors. Well, Kara, I do like to reuse the same paint colors because they are safe. And paint is so expensive. And you're saying to me, Betsy, paint is not expensive. I can get a beautiful gallon of high-end paint for $60 to $75. But the labor, actually putting that paint on the walls, is expensive. Whether it's the expense of your time or the expense of paying for somebody else's time. So I really want to know that I get a home run every time. If I'm going to take risks and do something trendy, it certainly will not be with paint color. That being said, the paint colors that I'm gravitating towards lately I'm going away from the grays. To me they're starting to feel a little bit muddy. And the trend this year in 2019 has been bright white. Which I am not down with as you guys know. Save the bright white for the trim or the ceilings. But people have been requesting a lot of bright white. And instead I would like you to look at something like Swiss coffee that does have a hint of warmth. My designer Allison turned me on to Swiss coffee and I always thought Allison, this is a real nothing color, it really is just barely a blush of a beige. But then I went into a room she designed and painted with primarily swiss coffee and I was enchanted. I mean it really did contrast with the bright white trim and yet it gave the space a vibrancy, an airiness that was really intoxicating. So way to go Allison. and. There we go, bright creams, light creams, very subtle beiges, these are all on my radar right now. I'm really excited about them and if something can make me turn away from my greige, you know it's got to be good. All right, let's get to my next question. My next question is coming from Tara. Tara writes, love the podcast, thank you so much. My question is about flooring and rugs. We just purchased our first home. It has a large dining room. I am not a fan of the light wood floors, but it is not within our budget to replace them. I also might be inheriting a dark wood dining table. And I don't want my dining room to look like a wood factory as you would say. Would you recommend covering the floors with a large Rug. What are some tips and rules for using rugs in a dining room? Is it a bad idea to mix a wood table with wood floors? Or should I forgo the wood table and purchase a white or marble one instead? Thank you so much, Tara. Tara, you know I've got some thoughts and feelings for you. So I love that this question piggybacks on the question from the desk caller or writer. This is not a call-in. I would love for this to be a call-in. Wouldn't that be fun? If you want to hear this be a call-in, let me know. Because answering this live and having some witty banter could be exciting, right? All right, back to your question, Tara. Um, This piggybacks on that other question. Because a dining table is like a desk in that it has a hard surface that chairs come in and out from however unlike a desk a dining table has seating all the way around sometimes it doesn't have head and foot in which case you don't have to have a rug that's big enough on the head and foot side for the chairs to push all the way out and come all the way in without being half on half off but on the sides that do have chairs as you heard me say earlier you need to have from the edge of the table to the edge of the rug 30 to 36 inches to pull out that chair without hitting the flooring. Right? That means that your rug needs to be about three feet bigger than your table on all sides. I also recommend in this case that you do a low pile area rug, just like I recommended in the office. However, in this case, I'm recommending a low pile area rug because there's spills. You're dropping food if you're not dropping. Maybe your partner's dropping. Or your kids are dropping. Or, you know, who are we going to blame for all these spills and stains? In my home, I have to blame myself. I'm, I'm definitely guilty of a few stains and spills. So anyway, you need a really large rug. And I don't want the rug to take up the whole room. So if your dining room is small, you know, it's going to look a little weird that you only have a couple of inches around the perimeter of wood flooring. That being said, I am a huge advocate for a dining room room rug under every table because otherwise it does become a wood factory. Most dining tables, especially ones that have extension leaves, are going to be made from wood. And wood floors with a wood table tends to get oppressive and brown. I'm not suggesting that you get a white table or a stone table, even though those would be great ways to add textural contrast. I'm totally fine with you using the hand-me-down. In fact, I do not think that you need to match your furniture's wood tone to the wood tone of the flooring. As you know, I like to keep it in the general family. So all light woods together, all mid-tone woods together, all dark woods together. But I myself have a beautiful office space that has very light pine floors, that have wide planks, so they're a very prominent feature in the room. However, my preferred wood tone, because I'm a mid-century fan, is a walnut tone. So you'll see a lot of warm walnut that is mid-tone in my office. I do not match my wood tones to my architectural tones. I just don't worry about it. And that's another exciting thing about that rug, is it will further separate the wood tone color from the table color and make it a less conspicuous issue. I definitely want you having a rug. I definitely don't mind you reusing your hand-me-down table. And there we go. I hope you have confidence, Tara, to go forth and make all your... Rug dreams come true. Oh, one other thing I want to mention. One other thing I want to mention that's super important for a dining room, less important for an office, is that you do a rug with a pattern. A rug with a pattern is going to camouflage those stains and give longevity to the rug. Now, if you're really stain prone, you may want to look at floor tiles, F L O R. Those are carpet squares. And these carpet squares can be popped out. I myself have carpet squares or floor tiles in my dining room. And when one of them gets trashed, as a couple of them have, I just pop it out and I buy replacements that are kept in my closet and I put the new one in. They come with um, stickers, extra stickers, and the rug tiles stick to themselves, not to the floor with those stickers. So That way you can easily pop it out without damaging the floor. They have a built in rug pad. They're relatively low pile. There are so many reasons to love these floor tiles and by the time you add up the cost of a large rug or the cost of numerous floor tiles, they tend to be about the same. Or the floor tiles sometimes tend to be a little bit cheaper depending on the pattern and style that you choose tara there we go there we go all right my next question is so intriguing this comes from tina and tina writes hi betsy i love your podcast and listen to you anytime i drive somewhere thank you for all your amazing tips and bubbly attitude i'm a hometown girl from the midwest and i live in a beautiful small community of around five thousand people I have loved interior design ever since I worked on floor plans in my high school class 15 years ago. I recently took the leap and I'm starting my own design business. I have been in business for about 4 months now and have steady clients piling up. I'm starting to become overwhelmed and I would love to bring in a partner or an employee who would help out. I have no interest in becoming a design firm, but I would love to add my best friend in this adventure to bounce ideas off of. She also had a love and passion for design, and we have very similar tastes. My question is, what would be your one piece of advice as to how, about, how to go about adding another person into this mix? Should I bring her in sooner rather than later? Or should I wait until I've got the business built up a bit more? Thanks so much for your advice, Tina. Alright Tina, I love interior design questions, but I love entrepreneurial questions almost as much. And I hate to break it to you Tina, but you are now an entrepreneur. At this point in time you are a solopreneur, but that can easily snowball into growing. right? The better you are at your craft, the more word will spread. And in an interior design business, those referrals are golden. I am really excited for you and for this trajectory. I take a lot of business classes. I belong to no less than three mastermind groups. And I am always learning from other entrepreneurs in other fields. And let me give you some advice. One piece of advice I would have for you is to not enter in a partnership. When you are in a partnership, I have seen so many times, I have heard on so many business podcasts, let me just tell you. When you enter a partnership, you are agreeing to split the business. You are agreeing to go in it together. Whether or not it's 50-50 is totally up to you, but... Say somebody doesn't pull their weight. Say somebody wants to move in a different direction. Say somebody isn't as talented or whatever as you might have hoped. These things can not only put a real strain on your friendship, they can put a strain on your business. Causing it to potentially collapse. I have seen this time and time again. Or causing expensive buyouts for your partner. I'm going to recommend that you go it alone, but bring her on in a different capacity that is absolutely not a partnership. Now, the only reason why I would recommend a partnership, there's a couple of ways in which a partnership might be okay. The first way is if you absolutely are not going to continue to run your business alone. There are some people who just do not want to open up a venture alone. And I get it. Being an entrepreneur is so lonely. Being a solopreneur was really lonely. I was one of those for six years, seven years in my business. And only in the past eight years, uh, yeah, seven years, excuse me, seven years now, I've had employees and it has been so much more fulfilling and rewarding to not be so alone. That being said, it has brought me many challenges. And as one of my mentors says, when you start a business, when you grow, when you start to hire, you no longer are an interior designer or whatever your dream passion was. You are now in HR. And as your business grows, as you bring on more people, you really become a people manager. I would say every day my main task is no longer designing, it is juggling different relationships with different people. Whether it's my salesperson or whether it's our shopper who does all of our trade discount shopping, whether it's vendors, whether it's people who are helping me build things just for a short time, like contractors helping me with software. I mean, I'm just a people manager. That's what I've done all day today, by the way. <laughs> I was talking with our bookkeeper in Rochester, New York. I was talking with our software developer in Austria. And then I was talking with a program developer in the Philippines. And then I was back to talking with my salesperson who happens to live in Florida in between emailing my designers. Hello. Um Anyway, I know that you don't want to have a big business, and I totally get that, Tina. When I started my business, I did not want to have a business either. I wanted to have a thriving hobby business that I could sustain, that made me money, and where I could pursue my passions. It sounds like that's really where you want to stay. I wanted to stay there until I became so busy and also until I'd worked in my own business for seven years and I was looking for a new challenge. And being a business owner was that new challenge I was craving. And I would say it's really fulfilled me more than I ever imagined. If you want to stay small, the best way to bring on your friend is to bring her on as a contractor. Now, you can have her take her own clients or you can have her assist you with your clients. But whatever you do, make sure that her role is super clear and very well defined. Make sure that it has boundaries that she can understand when she has done the work that you expect, that your expectations are clearly outlined in a written format that she signs off on. And I know that sounds so businessy. It so sounds so contractual. But because you have a friendship, you don't want the business to later impact the friendship. So the clearer you can make the terms now, the more you will save your relationship later when things get murky. Because... Projects get murky, clients get murky, situations get blurry. And having that document is really going to be invaluable for you. I also want to challenge the notion that you should be partnering with somebody who has very similar style to you, very similar tastes. I seek out designers who have different points of view, who like different styles because they help me to service more clients. If we always worked in the same style and had the same look I wouldn't be able to have as many clients. I wouldn't appeal to as many different people. So if you want to have a more robust business, think about hiring people who are different. Different demographics, different preferences, different ages. I think the more you can mix up the diversity within your organization, the more you can appeal to people everywhere. I know you're trying to think small, Tina, and I'm trying to stay in that small lane with you, but I'm seeing your success and I'm really inspired by it. And I think you're going to grow a little bit faster than you think. (laughs) All right, everybody. I hope Tina's story has been inspiring for you. I hope that you've learned a lot this week. I will be back with even more answers to even more questions. Until then, have a great week, everybody.